Hello there, Kansas City. Stephen St. John here with the latest episode of Hot Mike with SSJ. And remember, you can watch us on YouTube or download the podcast wherever you listen to your favorite podcast, whether it's Spotify or Apple. Uh, fuck, those are the only two I know. So if you listen to it someplace else, uh, God bless you. Uh, but we're going to start off. We have uh, two special guests in studio. We have my dad, Steve St. John Sr., back for a triumphant return. And a good friend of, uh, good friend of his, a good friend of mine. Uh, Mike Albanese, who's with us. Uh, but first, we have to start off with an instant reaction from my dad, because you you watch all. Do you? I don't. Maybe you say you do. You listen to all these podcasts. Yeah. I'm your fucking son. You should. Do you? Or, yeah, I do. Okay, so you're you're a fan. Yes. And so you know our good friend Jake Gutierrez. Oh, <laughs> Jake Gutierrez, yeah. and he's back from Colorado, and he's uh, he's been writing this book, and he finally has a cover for the book. And he says it's going to come out at the end of the year. I don't know that. But this is, this is where we're headed. But he was in studio a couple of days ago for the latest episode. I don't know if you've seen it yet. It's just been out for a day or two. And he revealed to us something I'd like to get your instant reaction to. He has said that finally he's taken that leap. And he's been, uh, he's been drinking his own piss. He's been drinking his own urine called looping. And so every morning he gets up. And he pisses into a mason jar, and then he sits it out <laughs> in the bathroom <laughs> so it can reach room temperature. And then he goes. He said, usually takes about two pulls and guzzles it down. And he says he could he could see the benefits. He had a bad back. His back is better. He says he's not having pain in his knees at all. I'm not shitting you. And so he's he's very serious about this. He had thought about this for six months before he finally did it. So every day. He drinks a mason's jar of his own piss. I like you, because you've seen it all and done it all in the years you've been on this earth. What do you th- What do you think about that? He says it's great benefits to what he does. What do you think? Have you Have you Have you ever heard of this? What do you think of this? Well, f- first, for me, I would say piss on that. <laughs> right. And I mean right. piss on that. Right. But I, I, I've been in in two federal institutions that were nut wards too. And I wasn't there as a nut, trust me. Okay. But there were there was uh, people that had problems, and they, they, they drank piss. They they drank anything. Right. So, but but Jake is doing it because he wants to do it. Right. I don't know what that deal See, is. See, I've known some fighters, like one of my favorite fighters, Juan Manuel Marquez, did this and did this, and he would do this in fight camp because he says that you know you piss out a bunch. The nutrients and vitamins that you need, so it replenishes. So there are athletes and people that it's called looping, and so Jake is doing this. Is this something you'd ever consider looping for the looping? Yeah, right. If, yeah. if you know you're how old? How old? You're you're seventy. I'm seventy years old now. If your doctor said well, maybe you got to think about you know drinking some of your own piss and this will get you feeling good. Was Tell that him I would after you drink yours. <laughs> it's okay. All right. Okay. And so that's that's the update on Jake. Yeah. So you, you, you thumbs up or thumbs down on that? A thumbs down on that. Okay. And so I'll have you do this. Introduce uh, our special guest that you brought to the studio. This is my friend Mike Albanese. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And he's been incarcerated for 25 straight years. And that is straight years. Right. And uh, I asked him, "Is that's a long time?" He said, "Not if you say it fast." <laughs> so, and, and there's nobody that that I know that that's come out with the attitude that he's got as far as his next uh, his next next swing on life. He's looking so much forward to it, and uh, it's just you know it's a long time to take out of a person's life. 
25 years. A little funny story. He just got his license the other day, and the gal looked at him because she's wondering, well, where's this guy been for 25 years? He didn't have to tell her, but he just told her. He said, ma'am, you know, I haven't driven for a while. Right. A while. <laughs> 25 years. That's a long time. It's like you were in for, what, eight and a half? Yeah, almost, almost yeah. So when you, I mean, when you, 25 years. Oh, eight and a half was a long fucking time. No, it, it, it's it's unbelievable what what twenty what he went to twenty five years is twenty five years and that, that that's just it's crazy. And you bounced around a bit. So where 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 were you? Where where did you serve your time at? Mike? So I I did the bulk of my sentence at Crossroads Correctional Center there in Cameron, Missouri. Okay. Uh, damn near opened the place and and definitely closed it <laughs> after the last right. major riot we had. Oh, one boy. of one of many. And I just want to point out to both of you, it's 25 and a half years. Okay, yeah. So I feel like you're, you're both cheating, cheating me out of six months. Out of six months 20, 25 and a half. I earned eight. every bit of 25 and a half. So, uh, but yeah, the, the majority of my sentence was at Crossroads Correctional Center okay, in so, Cameron. So when, when did you, when were you released? When did you get out? I just got, came home August 3rd. So, so you've been out a month, just, you know, over, over a month, month yeah, and a half. About a month so. and a half, two okay. months. And so, was this? Did you know? Like, did you know the date for a long time? But when you were going to get out, was it up in the air? Like, how long did you know? Did you have that circle? Like, this is when I'm finally going to get out. Yeah. So that, you know, that was pretty much aside from being placed in a maximum security prison uh, in the state of Missouri. That was almost the worst part of my whole situation. Is the fact that I had a life sentence complements of Platte County, and when you have life in the state of Missouri. Uh, yes, you have an expectation for release, but it's discretionary. You know, it's up to the parole board when they feel like letting you go. Um, so there was so no hard date that you there had, was okay. uh, my my face sheet, my paperwork said nine 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 nine, which means hopefully you go up for parole and and get a release date. You could go up for parole and get a setback. So it, it's an interesting uh, thing to carry around when you're serving time because there is no end date. Right. You know. So, but when did you find out that that was, how, how much well, time did you know before you were going to get out that that was the date? So, in the state of Missouri, the mandatory minimum on life is 25 and a half years. So, in the back of my mind, I always knew the least amount of time I would do if none of my appeals, you know, went through or were successful, which so few of them actually are. I always knew 25 and a half years was the mandatory minimum. But, again serving time in a maximum security prison where it's just complete chaos, controlled chaos, yeah. anything can happen. You know, right. you could get in a fight, you could stab somebody, you could get stabbed. You mentioned multiple, die riot, multiple riots. We had so many riots, I can't even count. I mean, you know, Crossroads was a very poorly run prison. Guards are underpaid in the state of Missouri. Um, so a lot can happen in 25 and a half years. Yeah, so give me an example of one of one of the riots. And like, where you like, what what do you do? What caused it? How does that, I mean, because that's, that's, I mean, fuck, right? A prison riot. So I'm going to tell you, riots are simple. It, they're just based on tension. Right. And, you know, for most people that have never served time or don't have family and friends that have been incarcerated, you know, it's easy for them to say, oh, to hell with them. You know, lock them up, throw away the key. We don't want them to have televisions. We don't want them to have cable. We don't want them to have anything. But the problem with that is when you put grown men, or women for that matter, but when you put grown men in that kind of situation, you know, keeping us in our cells and little rec time, 
uh, not very many jobs, no classrooms. You know, there's an old saying, an idle mind is a devil's workshop, and that couldn't be more true. So just tension, right. tension build up, mm-hmm. and it needs a release, and, and that's usually where riots came from. Mistreatment, what, you know. What, what was the wildest one or the scariest one or one that got out of hand that oh, you were thinking, fuck? No question, the, the last one that okay. got cl- Crossroads closed down where literally prisoners, hundreds of prisoners overtook a portion of the prison and uh, accessed a couple of forklifts and oh, shit. and just started destroying. Yeah. So, yeah. So, we were, so where were you in this thing? While the luckily, fucking... I was in, in, the, in, in my cell, uh, able to watch it through the window. But And that's the one time you're happy in your cell. You don't want to be in the middle of that shit, right? I mean, that's... Well, there's some guys that probably wanted to be in the middle of that. Right. You know, that I'm sure... Not everybody's on the same page. With, I'll get them. Yeah, with regards to how you're going to do your time. And plenty of men in the state of Missouri are serving life without the possibility of parole or hundreds of years. So what do they care? You know, they're going to tear that place up. They're yeah. going to they, – they, they got nothing to look forward to. Yeah. So. so, okay, so before we get into talking about, uh, you know, why you're in, the story behind it and everything else, I just want to talk to you about, uh, you know, getting out after – 25 and a half years. Sure. Um, and you, you know, and you were uh, originally from New York, right? Correct. And so how old were you when you, when you came to Kansas City? Six years old? No, uh, my, mo- my mother and I moved, in New- moved from New York to Kansas City in the early 80s, okay. maybe 81, 82. So, you know, I was about nine or 10. I was born in 72. Young enough to have experienced New York, but pretty much grew up in Kansas City. You grew up in Kansas City. What high school did you go to? I went to uh, Wentworth Military Academy. Okay. And then for a short period of time, I went to J.C. Harmon High School over in Kansas City, Kansas. And okay. uh, so, and we and we have some mutual friends. I we know, do. Like, uh, like big, I apologize about this, but Big Tom, I mean, that's a... Uh, don't hold that against us. He's a friend of the show and everything else. And boy, how about, don't say, don't yeah. say anything bad about Big Tom because I plan on going out there to eat. Oh, that's so all, no, how don't about, jinx you, me. I'm, I'm looking hey, forward to going out there and tasting his food because I hear it's great. It is great. Talk about shit that's changed. <laughs> yeah, after 25 years, you took a look at him. Maybe you want to go fucking back inside. After, you know, he's uh, that's my guy though. No, and you have great food. So you you, you get out for people that will, will never understand this and never experience this. Take me to that day, 25 and a half years, and you're fucking going home. I'm going to take you to the days that led up to it because, you know, in the state of Missouri, you go up for parole and you don't get an immediate release. Uh, I got a two-year out date, so I had two years from the time that I went up for parole and knew I was going home to serve additional time. Well, as that two years starts to get closer and closer, you know, you, you go to bed one minute. You're like, shit, I got two years left. Next minute, you got six months, four months, three months, two months, then you're within days. And oddly, I was pretty calm throughout the whole two years. But, you know, the night before, it's just, it's it's like, fuck, this is real. I'm going home in the morning. Right. You know, and you want to say my last time, like this is the last time I have to sleep on this miserable, you know, steel cot. This is the last time I have to piss in a community bathroom with, you know, a bunch of shit shitheads. So it, it, it's exciting. You know, it's it's a lot. Somewhat overwhelming. Uh, I happened to leave from St. Joe because I, I leveled down from maximum security to minimum. And 
they open a garage door there in St. Joe and you walk down a little, you know, walkway that has a fence and people are parked on the other side. People were honking their horns and clapping and so how many people yeah, did you was, have waiting for you uh, there? It, it, it was it was quite the showing. I there must have been 30, 35 people in that parking lot. Um, at least nine or ten cars. And, yeah, it was. I mean, it brought me to tears. I mean, I'm not going to lie. Saying, like, it was what's, like what's going through your head at that moment. You're just you're like it's over finally. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I did my time. I'm I'm going home, and you just start looking forward to everything. You know, the little things. Like we left St. Joe and went to Starbucks, which for you guys, mm-hmm. you guys probably drink Starbucks a million times. You've never and been to be, Starbucks. I've never been to Starbucks, and so we walk into Starbucks and. You know, somebody gets me a, a coffee and just, I guess the only, this I always try to find silver linings. And the mm-hmm. silver lining is that when you do 25 and a half years in prison, if and when you do make it out of that and your head is screwed on straight and you're not pissed off at the world, everything you do is going to be new. Like the little things. They put an iPhone 13 in my hand. This this is like the best toy I've ever had in my life. Mm-hmm. To you guys, it's it's a smartphone. It's a pain in the ass. It it's right. what you use for work, but yeah, everything everything is is new and different, but the changes in Kansas City. But by the amazing. way, if you're looking for help, don't ask my dad about using that fucking phone because he still is I had to, to get us here. Life 360, right. I had to part. find the way right. to this place. He's we were on 25 and a half and I got years. us here. You've been out here at least 50 times and he had to fucking find the way to get We were driving you know to what? Nebraska. All, all I was doing was checking his skills, right. skills with that phone. Is that what right. it was? It was and a test. Passed the test. Yeah, I passed the test. Yeah, I've been tested so many fucking times right. in this lifetime, it's not even funny. You passed that one. Passed every one. one of them. And so, uh, it's a Starbucks. And so, I mean, I, like, like, what do you want to like do? Like, what do you want to eat? Is there something you had thought about? Like, I, I mean, besides the obvious, I can't wait to do this, I can't wait to do that. Or are you just happy to be out and say, you know what? Take me where you want to take me. Like, what was, how did you want that first day to go? Oh, no. It, I'm planning my welcome home. Okay, so there we I, go. All right. Yeah, I'm, a, I'm, I'm an alpha male through and through. And I, I like to make plans and I like to take charge. So I'm, I'm very fortunate uh, not only to have a great support group, lots of family and friends, but I have a niece, uh, Kendra Power, Kenny from the dot, as we call her. And, she had worked at Yard House okay. after college. She played softball at Mizzou, started working talking. at the Yard House, right? I used to tease her that she was the only straight softball player on the whole team. <laughs> uh, bless her heart. I love her. Uh, so she, after college, she takes a job at the Yard House out at the Legends and works her way up, winds up becoming the GM at the Power and Light location, okay. which the Yard House is part of the Darden Group. Eddie V's. Okay. So she said, she there said, Mike, Mike, she calls me Uncle Mike. Uncle Mike, we're having your welcome home party at Eddie V's. Now, I can't afford Eddie V's. I ain't got two fucking nickels to rub together. I've been gone 25 and a half years, spent every dime I had and could get my hands on on lawyers and appeals. And so she hooked it up. We had mm-hmm. we had a private room uh, full of people, the food. Yeah. that we. What was the first look, meal you had? What did you eat? Well, the first meal, we actually went to a place on the west side. You'll appreciate yep. this, being half Mexican. Los Alamos. Okay, there you go. A small—I I wanted my first meal to be mom and pop, right. not a chain, uh, father and son, 
wall of windows, beautiful morning. We got there maybe 10, 30, 11, and the, the sun was nice enough to push some tables together. And man, we just, we just ate. Right. We ate some homemade. I love Mexican breakfast. I'm, I'm a Sicilian kid from New York, yeah. mm-hmm. but I'm going to tell you what. You get a chorizo in there, right? you, yeah, yeah, you you're not going to find a better breakfast than a Mexican breakfast. Chorizo, yeah. uh, eggs, fried potatoes, mm-hmm. and we just filled the table up with food and ate and talked and and it was it was it was exciting, man. It was you know, we left there and I kind of looked around the west side and saw all the changes that had been made. So I want to thank our great sponsors, Patrick Carter uh, CaseyFarmersAgent.com. He's the man if you want uh, to complete your insurance picture. I don't know if you're insured, Mike, but if you're not, we'll get you hooked up with pa- uh, Patrick Carter. You don't want these national people where you uh, dial a 1-800 number they keep you on fucking hold for half an hour. They don't care about you. Patrick Carter, CaseyFarmersAgent.com. He cares about you. Also, KCGrillingCo.com, Kansas City Grilling Company, KC Grilling Company, rubs, seasonings, barbecue sauces, injections and marinades, grills and smokers, outdoor kitchens, they got it all for a guy that likes to barbecue like my dad, KCGrillingCo.com. You've been out there, Dad. You love it. And I also, do, I do love CBD it. American Shaman, uh, Shaman, com, CBD gummies, CBD tropical cream, rub that shit all over yourself and you'll feel great. <laughs> CBD American Shaman. What has blown your mind the most about Kansas City and just everything in the environment around you after 25 and a half years? Because you knew Kansas City well before you left. What's what is just like left your, you awestruck about the town now that you're out? I mean, everything. You say I knew Kansas City well. There was not much to know. Right. I mean, not to smack Kansas City in the mouth, but prior to me going to prison in 1997, Kansas City was quiet. You know, downtown was crickets there late was at night. Downtown, there right. was nothing downtown. Uh, the city market empty. Unless you, you went, unless you went to see Big Tom at Club unless Life. You went. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that sums it up. Yeah, it, there you go. It, yeah. it just, you know, for a kid in his twenties, there was not a lot to do in Kansas City. You had to go out to Overland Park. You had yeah. to. You had to find something to do. You had to go to Woody's at I-29 and 64th well, Street. You're not old wife. enough to know about That's Woody's. That's why I met my wife. Oh, hey, I'm the same man. age as you. I was born in 72. We're, wow. the, we're the same age. We're the same every, everything. You got good genes. You must twins. be from your mother. We went, yeah, yeah. We went with this. this <laughs> hey, Mexicans, that's right. We And so we, we absolutely – that's why it's very interesting to me because we were – I was in North, I went to St. Pius. I grew yeah. up in Northeast. But then when I was 25, I moved to the Northland. And so, and I think about that, you know, I met my wife in 96, had my first son in, in, in 1996. And then, and then you, you know, that's 97. I'm thinking like, I'm at 25 years old to now, how much everything's changed and what a different, just the world itself, everything. It's, it's, it's too much for me to even fucking. Well, I can't tell you about the world because yeah. I haven't traveled as of yet, but I can tell you. Kansas City is truly amazing at this point. I'm very happy with what I've seen so far. It's talk about growth. I mean, you you see construction everywhere right. still, but I mean, Kansas City has come a long way. I, and I was it's funny cuz I thought I was going to get out and come to Kansas City and take a look around and say, "All right, where am I going to move to?" It's fucking great, isn't it? No, it's yeah. fucking great. I I got to take my hat off to Kansas City. And so I remember when my dad got out and I remember we waited for you at, at the at the airport, and I was with a friend of yours. And then I was with Vin, we were, it was Vince. We were Vince waiting for you, 
And and the whole mm-hmm. seemed like the whole plane emptied out. And we didn't know like if you were gonna make that plane. And it was one of those things where he ain't out until we see him out. Right. You know, we're, we're, Is and, he on the plane? Did he not and, make and his I started flight? getting worried because Vince was standing next to me. And I remember Vince going, Oh, come on, Steve. Come on, Steve. Be on the plane, Steve. And at that point, I'm thinking, is there, is there a fucking question here of whether or not he's, you know? <laughs> and you know, I go, I thought this was a done deal. And then all of a sudden, you mm-hmm. see him walking out in just that moment, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. But then, I, so I remember, I wanted to take him some places, right? Sure. And I can't remember where the fuck it was that I took you. And it was early on, right after you got out. Mm-hmm. But it was a lot of people. It was a lot of people. And I just didn't think about it. I was just so excited. Yeah, hey, I want to take you mm-hmm. here. Let's go there. And clearly, when we walked into the joint, I, I want to say it was maybe a, it was a sporting event. I don't know what it was. But there was, I clearly realized this is too many fucking people. He's not sensory he's, overload. And he's, you know, and you're kind of keeping your. I'm not. It was no, it's true. You kind of, you kind of keep his back to the wall, and, and then I go, "What's well, it? Too many fucking people here." And it was just too much. And so I found out you went to a, a Chiefs game last week, right? <laughs> I did. And that's going. That's going to the extreme. Eighty thousand people, and that's. Hey, let's be a, that's some wild shit out there. That could be a prison riot. Yeah, it point. was pretty intense. People fighting in the fucking stands. And, and so I'm just curious, because if I would have taken him to the Chiefs game, I don't know. He, he'd have fucking... I wouldn't have went. You know, he, he'd have left. He still doesn't like going to a lot of places the way he is. But what was that like? Because like you said, an over, a sen- over sensory overload, it's tough for some people just to go to a Chiefs game because there's so much shit going on. What was that experience like for you? Because that can't be compared to anything else. Well, you can't compare uh, a Chiefs game to anything, right. period. Because yeah, that that crowd is is very serious and very intense. But did you love it, it or you like it? Man, I loved it. Okay. You know, it, it it's it's funny because crowds don't seem to phase me. Uh, so that was good. I I feel comfortable. I, I it's it's almost like it's almost like freedom suits me better than incarceration. But I get what he's saying because my my friend Roland. He did about 15 years in federal prison, and he came home, and he had told me that he went to a Nebraska furniture mart for the first time and literally had to turn around, leave, and throw up uh, because yeah. of all the sounds, the colors, the people. It's Two it's floors. too much yeah. for your brain. Yeah, see, that's what it, I was wondering. Like, he went to a Chiefs game? Holy yeah. Shit. I actually went to two Chiefs games, one preseason, and then— That's a different animal that's than the a, regular season. Oh, season. I that's said that. that. The preseason's yeah. nothing like that's regular training season. training wheels, because even, even now— You'll go and and you know you try to hug my dad. He's kind of you know like you know eh. and I remember my my buddy Jamie Bluma who we talked about earlier. Yeah, one time yeah, he came in, fucking hugged him, him, a big bear, bear hugged hug. Him. And I thought this Surprised motherfucker was gonna him. fucking crack him or something. You I didn't mean, have your shank yeah, on. You get didn't the you? fucking spoons off the table. <laughs> yeah, but, but, so that was so that was for you. It was hard for you to be around big crowds and shit going on when you first got out, right? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Why? Just, just, just weren't used to it? Well, just... I, I think it was being in, in the service plus that, you know. Because you, would, you saw some things when you were in Vietnam. We've mm-hmm. had, talked about that on the podcast. So, so. you see that I mean, both of them combined don't do me no good. Right. And so you you're, 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 you're more than happy not being in a big crowd oh, still to this point. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so, what, <clears throat> so mm-hmm. let's go back to the 25 and a half years. Like, are you, and many people are ignorant of this, like, are you, you know, how often can you, like, can watch games or watch the teams that you want or watch TV or, I mean, is there ever a chance for you to watch a movie or listen to the music or, like, how much can you keep tabs on what's going on out in the world and out in Kansas City and and get a feel for, for anything? 
So, I mean, you know, prison is definitely living in a fishbowl, but unlike the federal prison <laughs> system where they have TV rooms, in the state of Missouri, you can purchase a television through the commissary. Okay. So almost everybody has their own uh, small television. Uh, also, you know, we had radios and we have wound up getting tablets back in 2018. Right. No internet, of no course. Internet. No internet. That'd be a disaster. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, you watch sports. We get the news. I got the Kansas City Star newspaper and almost you my the entire to keep up with everything. Absolutely. And Fantasy play. football is huge in oh, prison. Oh, really? Let me See, tell you I something. Like, I would never Fantasy think that. football is, is like prison crack no kidding everybody and wow i mean it's serious too right it's there. saying a lot right yeah you get leagues you get teams what was and... your team name can i ask that did you <laughs> team name did you bada bing <laughs> bada bing okay. now listen some people think i make shit up right my my fantasy football team and i only have one team i don't do this shit when you're in more than one league and you got every fucking player i have one team one league that i'm in right and i'm in it and, and it's this is my serious league. Oh, Harry. I'll just show you that I got, and I got two rotisserie baseball teams, right? What's what's that say right there? What's the name of my team with my logo? The fucking Bada Bings with the two. right logo. That's I got the, the Bada logo. Bings one. I got the Bada, Bada Bings, Bings two. one. Bada Bings That's two. Yeah. I got the logo and a baseball. And fantasy. I didn't go. even know that till right now. That's that hilarious. We connect like this. We're like fantasy football and, yeah. related. You That's and exactly I. Exactly right. Yeah. So then how? So. <laughs> I've had to spend some time on this shit. So then you guys, how do you do the drafts? You get to, I mean, so the, the only tricky part in prison is the stats because right. you have to rely on the paper. And then, you know, everything's went online. So the Kansas City Star used to print the box scores. and That's how we used to do it back in the day. And so, how you used right. to do it is how we they still do it. But, like, how would you, but, draft, how would you have the, dra the drafting of the team? So we take uh, – you could take dominoes. You could take cards. You could take pieces of paper. We always – Try to get a 10-man league. Yeah. If you could get 12 players, if you could get eight or nine, and, you know, uh, you a buy-in weekly, you have to pay to turn your lineup in, you have to pay to make trades, and you build a pot. And there's weekly winners, this there's first, second, great. and third. 50% uh, of the pot would go to first place, 30% tw second place, 20%. Who was 20 the commissioner of the fucking leagues? I was. You were the commissioner? Yeah, they, they, My yeah, they, they yeah, always you know talked the me into being the commissioner because everybody in prison has bad habits, which I did not, so... Everybody's like, Mike, you hold the money. You be in charge of the numbers and the money. We trust you. That's I said, that's fine. You know, that, that's yeah. a, I'm, I'm sure not everyone's wanting to play by the fucking rules and everything else, right? Did you have a lot to deal with on your hands? Surprisingly, no. Because, I mean, a tight I, ship with this thing. You have to run a tight ship, but every now and then somebody would try to pull a fast one. But, yeah. you know, here's the thing about prison it's very structured to begin with. Right. There's more fucking rules than the airport. I swear to God. Yeah. Rules on top of rules. So we're so used to rules, we went into the fantasy football league with rules. And when a guy came to question you about something, you just pointed out to him, hey, you know the rules. That's not happening. Do you have Mahomes and fucking any fancy football team? You know, everybody wants to get Mahomes in the first yeah. round, and I love Patrick Mahomes, but let me tell you something. Every team since he's been the quarterback to draft him in the top five has not won. Really? In fantasy football, stick to the, what the pros say. You better get your running backs. You better get maybe a tight end. Who's your guy? Who's the one guy that fucking paid off the most for you when you were, when you were running the bottom bings in here? 
And I'm not saying this because I'm here in the studio and I'm in Kansas City. Travis Kelsey. Travis fucking Kelsey. Travis fucking Kelsey. There's no other tight end that's going to get you. He's like having a wide receiver and a running back combined into one. All the tight ends after Travis Kelsey are hit or miss every week. He's a sure thing, though. He's a sure thing. You can come back and get a running back or a wide receiver or a quarterback. You need that Travis so did Kelsey. You w- did you win the league? Oh, I I, I probably won three, four seasons okay, altogether. So some of the people that say, wait a minute, you're the commissioner and you're winning this fucking mm-hmm. league. I don't know about this. No, there's like no. This. There's nothing. Everybody, well, everybody's so in tune to what's going on and everybody's so into the there's fantasy. No way. Okay. They're keeping track of the points the same way I was, the same way you would be, your father would be. Yeah. Everybody knows if you score 96 that week, it's 96. And you got more time to invest in this thing because this shit's all going to be correct. We had nothing but time. Right. <laughs> nothing but time. <laughs> Trust me. So we're like, was there, is there anything else like besides feeling like what, what else what was was like that, that was it sounds like that was the big the big fucking thing as far as entertainment that you guys love was well any football. form of gambling in prison you know people have right. tickets and bet on basketball and football but you know just the the typical things you know people like to work out in prison people like to walk run did you get a chance to out. watch movies at all oh like yeah yeah movies? so in the state of Missouri they have a movie channel and they would loop like uh, this sounds old, but they would put five DVDs in a carousel yeah. and just one would play after the other. So 24 hours a day, seven days a week, there's a movie playing. You could go on the movie channel and, and watch it. So if there was a uh, good movie, but it was about prison, like Shawshank Redemption or something, you say, you know what, fuck this. I'm in, I don't want to watch this. Or would you watch this? Or like or it, if Escape from Al- Alcatraz, would you watch that? Or you don't want to watch this when you're in prison. How do you approach that? You know, there there's guys that wouldn't, watch certain things because it would make them miss home right uh funny story prior to going to prison i couldn't watch shawshank redemption because i knew i was going to prison oh it's okay yeah, yeah i know. couldn't watch a prison movie before i went to prison but during prison shawshank redemption is one of the best movies ever made um you get to pick and choose what you watch most guys in prison watch sports sports are medicine in prison I don't care. It could be women's volleyball. It could be, you know, softball. Yeah. It, it could be whatever. You're watching you, it. Sports are the biggest thing in prison. What it, sport did you develop? Like, what did you start before? You didn't care about this fucking sport, but then when you're in prison, you became a fan of like what sport? Like, I love this, but you didn't fucking realize it until you got in prison. Well, I always liked football, but until I went to prison and started playing fantasy football, I never realized how exciting the NFL could be. You know, if you play fantasy football, it changes the dynamic in which you watch sports. I mean, instead of rooting for the Chiefs, which I did, and I'll continue to do, but I got players all over the league. Fantasy football yeah. has has made football so enjoyable like to last me. Last night, I'm wait, I'm staying up late and I watched that that last the, second the defensive you touchdown get, exactly. by the Browns, and that was there. You go. Team. I'm like, fuck yeah. Yeah. Okay, and then I go to sleep. Uh, and so and so, <laughs> this got off the rails. That was very fucking interesting. Okay, so. Uh, what, what, like, how difficult is it? And I can be honest, cause I don't know, I mean, maybe you don't want to talk about this, but like contraband or sneaking stuff in or seeing stuff out of prison. Is it, cause you know, I, you watch some of the movies or you watch some of the documentaries. Is it, is it, how difficult is that? Like if you, I, if you, if you recall, you had me go down to Los Salas a time or two. And Shame I, on you. And I had to walk in. 
had to walk in 11 with a little bit of a limp because maybe there was a big, sa- <laughs> big sausage in my leg. And I got it in there. But that was a big deal. And oh, I had no yeah. problem getting Hell in there. Yeah, because that's all we here. had was food. Right, but I have it in there. And, you know, I'd say, if they get a fucking news, just God damn it, just line up and go through the fucking. I go, eh, you know. It's like a scene from right. Goodfellas. Exactly. And, right, you know, and he was slicing everything yeah. with a fucking razor. But that was a big deal. You I know? mean, we, we didn't, we wasn't into dope or booze. or We just we wanted, wanted that sausage. Eat. That's exactly right. And so were you able to, when you know, did you ever get anything from the outside? Did you have a guy like me sneaking sausages now, in? Can't, like can't they take food too? So yeah, yeah, in Missouri, we we were allowed food visits. You he, could he get had so many things that you didn't yeah. fucking have. Well, trust me, everybody thinks the federal prison system is is the place to be. I don't know about that. You right. know, we just to have a television in your own I think cell. The no place to be is better. Than yeah, this one. this is the place to be. Don't right. get me hey, wrong. Here we but, go. How um, this is, yeah. Jay? Yeah. You know, and so and so, you were, but when you get out, you you said you like you, you had a you had a you had a notebook or a pad or whatever, but then like you said you got this phone, that had to blow your fucking mind to have access to all this shit. Like I still like you still you, you blows see, my mind. Still, he's 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 been out for fucking how long? Twenty years, and he still can't figure out a fucking phone. But you, right? This is like some of the things that we like. What are some of the other things that we take for granted that you are still trying to wrap mm-hmm. your head around? Now that it's been about a month and a half, that just like you can't fucking believe it. You know, I would just say, uh, man, you know, when when you do 25 and a half and you come out and you have any friends left, because most people don't. Right. And I just got such a great group of people in my life. I just, you know, forget the phones and the cars and the city and the growth, but just people. You know, I just really enjoy people. I love my friends. I love my family. And uh, I just... Just like being with your father, you know, driving out here, we were cutting it up and talking yeah. shit in the car, and that's why that, that's, that's what's important to me. Yeah, yeah that that's what I love the most. It's so, but you, like like my dad said, you have this perspective that many people wouldn't have. There there would be people that in your situation that would come out and will be bitter and will be pissed off. Oh, all yeah, right, and, that, and that's and, and and then and then have the attitude where they're not, and then maybe go right back in. But it appears that you have the attitude like, okay. I've been given this gift of freedom and I'm going to enjoy every single part of it. And it is, I think, incredible that you have such a positive attitude. Part of that you said is your support system. But, you know, not everyone, this is rare the way you're approaching this. And like you said, you're just thankful for friends and relationships. How did you develop that attitude and that optimism that you have right now? So I got to give most of the credit there to my mother, Janine Albanese. You know, I'm entering prison at the ripe age of 26 and I don't know I'd been in prison maybe three or four years coming up on the age of 30 and I remember when I was a teenager in high school we used to sit around and say whoa I wonder where we'll be when we're 30 you know everybody's like well I'll have a business I'll be married with kids Mm -hmm. and there I am sitting in Crossroads Correctional Center getting ready to turn 30 and I'm I'm in a slump you know I'm, I'm at a down point in my life and my appeals haven't gone through and like, fuck, I got a life sentence to serve. This is so unfair, especially for the case, which we can get into later. Right. But my mother said to me, she said, Michael, the only the only control you really have over anything right now is is your attitude. And this sounds cliche, but it's so true. You know, how how you how your brain chooses to look at something and the attitude that you have and your they perspective. They can't take that away from you. They right. can't control that, and they can't take that away from you. And she said, if if you do your time angry, upset, bitter, pissed off, you let them win. 
don't let them win. Very it's true. that simple. And so I thought about that, and I'm like, you know, it. I, I feel like uh, I have to win. Let me win. So I just took control of that and did my time, did it extremely well, did it the right way. And so I come out, and I'm in a good place. You know, it, it's, it probably sounds much simpler than what it was because it's a lot of hard work, you know, not to sink into depression or go down the rabbit hole of staying high every day, all day. Because uh, you could which, do that in prison. Oh, no, plenty of people yeah. do do that, people and I understand it. it. Yeah. It's, 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 it's a depressing environment. Or numb yourself, some people. Comfortably do. numb. Pink Floyd sung it best. That's right. That's right. And contraband is obviously prevalent in all jails and prisons. Uh, that's just a reality of incarceration. They're never going to change that. Um, so, you know, I just, you got to, you got to, if your head wasn't screwed on straight prior to you going to prison, find a way to get it screwed on. If, if you choose to, if you want to get out and maybe be successful or live a good life and put one foot in front of the other. And see, that was something that always impressed me about my dad. Like you, you, you became a baker. Uh, you got your uh, preacher's license, right? You get, I, I did do that in case they tried to get me to testify right, but, somebody. <laughs> so, you don't have to do it with a preacher's right. license. It, but, it's see, against yeah, yeah, see? the talk against your fellow man. Right, exactly. Is that why you keep asking me to marry you? Right, I do. But you did. But you you did a lot. And like you were on the softball team, broke your wrist sliding to second base, which was bullshit. You know, that was a bad play. You didn't know that, did you? I did not. He broke. I actually thought that scar was from something else. No, he slid into second base, and that was. Oh you know, wow! Uh, but you you chose to do things that were constructive. Yeah, yeah. And well, here's here's what I and you and went I to told school and many yeah. people this. I said, you know, I was at I was at Springfield, Missouri medical federal prison and i thought well you know what i, I can continue to have visits because that was only like my second or third you read up on the mic second or third uh uh spot i was at or second or third year and i thought you know when i get out and people are going to ask me what did you do well i'm five six i can dunk a basketball maybe <laughs> i'm not a basketball player and i knew that so what I what I wanted to do was get something constructive. So I had them ship. I had them actually ship me to Yankton, South Dakota. That's the only time they ever did what I wanted, and because I, I put in for their bakery school. So that's about six thousand hours of bakery, you know, bake that that I that I did. And so I learned how to bake, and then I got the two year degree at the uh, at the Yankton uh, College. And uh, Mount Marty College, that was the name of it. They came over and taught us on, on, on the campus. And what else did I did do? Did you or did you not stop a riot with your cream puffs? I did. Did you know that? I, well, I knew cream puffs he you know, these, were very persuasive, but yeah. I didn't know they could stop a prison riot. Well, I want to hear this story. Yeah, please. Yeah. They, they, was, they was having some rough times in a place called Waseca, Minnesota. It was an FCI. They sent me from a camp. To an FCI because, well, I mean, you know, they don't send you for nothing but a FBI agent call up there and tried to talk to me, and I, I kind of told him what I thought. Well, what did you tell him? You could well, say I just told him. I said, he said, I'm agent so-and-so, and, and we've got your doctor. He's getting ready to go to trial, and, boy, if you could just come down and testify for us, and we could probably make, you know, send you home three or four years early. And I said, hey, wait a minute. 
I got things I got to do. I got this bakery deal going. I got the uh, the college thing going. I said, you know, I can't just up roots and go, you know. And he said, oh, really? So he knew I was being sarcastic. Then he started being, and I says, where are you located? He says, well, I'm the head agent in North, North uh, Dakota. I said, wow, you've really come a long way. Is it any colder they could send you any far north? So I guess you're not the favorite of the FBI. I said, I'm going to have to let you go. I got things I got to do. Next morning, they shipped me at 3 o'clock in the morning and sent me to FCI Wasika, which is colder yet, from Yankton. The warden met me at the door. I said, what, what, do you, what do you got me up here for? He said, well, we need a good baker. <laughs> Bullshit, you know, but they, they was opening this FCI and it's higher security. So it, as Mike well knows, a, a riot will start in the kitchen before it'll start anywhere because that's where all the food's at, you know. They're not going to start a riot and get stuck that he can't get back to the kitchen. Oh, they'll get back to the kitchen. Believe that. And and we was having some some people complaining about the movement. You know, you can only move on the hour every hour for just a few minutes, and and then they they knew the friction. And so anyway, I I told the the the, uh, the head guard in the kitchen. I said, listen, let's make these guys some cream puffs and kind of loosen the edge. You can't make cream puffs. There's 500 people here. And I said, well, it's it, it's my horse. You just hold the head while I fuck it. <laughs> so that's all you got to do. <laughs> what the fuck is that? Well, looping. It's a looping bestiality. What kind of show is this? Yeah. Fucking, no, yeah. no, no, I, he just said, well, that's a, that's a well-known saying. Do you it. think you, if you heard I, that? I'll be 50 on Sunday. Yeah. And I have not heard that I one before. Yeah. Well, you heard it now. I heard it now. So, Thank you. So anyway, I said, all we got to do, I'll make the pastries. The guys will cut them in half. Another guy will fill them full of ice cream, stick them in the goddamn freezer. It's not that confusing. So we did that. Then as they come across the line, I'd have them on trays, and I'd, I'd hit them with that chocolate sauce. That warden looked at that. He said, my God, St. John, he said, you're going to kill me with this waste. So we'll be all right. Just just hang in there. So no so, riot. No riot that okay. day. Surprising what Not a little sugar will do. Day. Huh? Surprising what a little sugar will do. Yeah, that's you, true. It's my horse, you hold the head. I, I said, it's my horse, you hold the much. head, and I'll fuck okay. it. Yeah, right, well, in other words, in other words just, hold the fucking, okay. just hold right. the head, and then I'll take care of everything All else. Right. This is, we've gotten out of hand here. So, Mike, you mentioned your, your case. Yes. And, and we can talk about this. So there is a, a book being written right now. Correct. So tell me, tell me about that. So there's an author who lives in Colorado and who has ties to Kansas City who learned about the case, had watched the court TV trial live there in Platte County, and then the follow-up documentary, Crime Story. And he became interested in telling the story and learning more about it. His name is Frank Hayde. And basically, you know, there's a lot of moving parts. Um, I think he said one time there's 12 different criminal cases all in this in one big story that he's going to try to, you know, weave through and and then lead into the fatal sting there at the Motel 6 in the Northland. Okay, so I, this is this is totally up to you. I don't know how much you want to share about this or how much you want to sure. talk about this. I watched... The episode that was on court TV, so I, I have some background. I talked to my dad a little bit about this. And so just you tell people what 
what you want them to know. Obviously, this is going to be written about in the book. There is that episode that's on YouTube that you can watch. And so if, if just in your own words, you can tell me, you know, what happened, how you ended up doing 25 and a half years and why you think it's important for this to be written about. You know, I, I, if I could sum it all up in one word, I would say entrapment. I would say that uh, Joe Riley was entrapped through the use of a paid FBI informant, Joe Bartels. And it was very unfortunate what Joe Riley ended up doing, which was shooting Joe Bartels in the shoulder. But, you know, I would say that he was very desperate. His father and his stepmother were both sitting in jail on their way to prison for some white-collar crimes. And it just became this... It started out as a FBI reverse drug sting targeting some of the Riley family's hidden assets and somehow turned into this cocaine conspiracy, which I'm still scratching my head over because Joe Riley was not a drug dealer in any way, shape or form. And Kid, you knew Joe Riley. He was a friend I, of yeah, yours. Yeah, I was friends with Joe Riley. And for people that don't know, you were you were you were at an Applebee's eating dinner. Right. And we had stopped at an Applebee's okay. to get some food and then wound up at a Motel 6 uh, for the second time that day. And there were three of us in the car, myself, Joe Riley, and a man named Nicklin Franca, who's no longer with us, um, basically so Joe Riley could you know, meet his so-called friend, Joe Bartels. And you, he told you uh, he was just there to bring some food to his friend. Yeah, right? well, you know, obviously, you know, something's going on. Right. It's... You're not completely stupid, but you don't ask a lot of questions. You just kind of, you know, back back in the 90s, back back then, people just kind of moved through the streets. And I don't say this to boast or brag, but when you're involved in that lifestyle and out there in them streets, you don't you don't ask a lot of questions. You know, your your friend calls and says, hey, I need you with me. Come on. I got this deal. You go. You know, that that. Well, I grew up not asking a lot of questions. Exactly. I, you don't so, have to, I totally understand. What you know, you're everything about. that Joe Riley had planned or going on, I couldn't tell you. I, it's it, again, it's just very unfortunate that he ended up losing his life that day, and I wound up serving twenty five and a half years uh, for an FBI agent shooting and killing him because in the state of Missouri, it's called felony murder. And you and Nick had stayed in the car. He had gone into the Motel Six, correct, to do whatever he was going to do. He walked in, his friend Bartels was waiting for him. He goes in, pulls a gun out of a bag, shoots Bartels in the shoulder. When that happens, the FBI agent runs in and then shoots Joe Riley and, and kills him. Yeah, apparently there was an adjoining room right next door that was full of FBI agents, as well as IRS agents, which has always been interesting to me. I didn't realize IRS agents uh, you know, took an interest in cocaine conspiracy cases, but... So, yeah, an, F an FBI agent came through the adjoining door and, and shot Joe Riley. And you're in the car, uh, and you don't know what's going on. I, so then what, then you, what happens? You start to see— Well, they placed us both right. under arrest, and, and then they took me to Platte County and charged me with felony murder. Nicklin Franken never got charged with felony murder. Nobody knows why. But So, yeah, that's, that's it. You know, it's, uh, it was an interesting case. It was a— unusual application of a very dated law you know felony murder originated from england which ironically england took it off their books so the originators of a law deemed it too unfair unjust harsh whatever and removed it while we still use it here in the united states and in the state of missouri so the confusing thing is for people that may not understand it's it's, it's like a good guy bad guy law it would be more understandable 
if if he had gone in there and shot an agent and the agent was killed and then they tried to to pin the the murder on the accomplices that were with him, right? Correct. He was the one that was killed by an FBI agent, and so you were charged with the murder of your friend that went in there and was shot and killed by an FBI agent. A member of law enforcement right. acting in the line of duty. Right. That's that's why Court TV covered the trial live in Platte County, because felony murder was designed for, say, you and I or the three of us, mm-hmm. even at your age, Mr. St. John, well, that yeah. we went to rob a bank and we're all hopped up on adrenaline or who knows what else. But the three of us go inside that bank and your dad here gets trigger happy and shoots and kills one of the tellers. Well, the three of us are in there committing this felony on this crime, and so you and I could be held responsible for that teller's death. I get that. Right. That makes sense to me. Like, my brain can wrap around that as far as felony murder. But then but in that case, using the same example, that ca- if my dad gets killed by the FBI agent, we get charged with his murder. And that's where I get confused, because okay. that technically, the bad guy was killed. So... Why the fuck should we get his death? To me, murder should be reserved for murder unless an innocent person is is killed. Um, it, it's just, you know, like everything else, that something goes into the books and then they they tweak it or they find a loophole and they like to test the waters. And I get it. You know, I was a test case there in Platte County and they were successful. Idea, do you have any idea how many other people w- w- were, were accused or were charged with that, a similar in the, under that law? In a similar situation? So when you go up for parole in the state of Missouri, uh, mm. months before your actual hearing, they have what's called an IPO, an institutional parole officer. You'll have to go see that person to talk about your upcoming parole hearing. And I happen to get this woman who was a former police officer. And I go into her office, and I don't know her. I don't know her from Adam. Uh, I sit down in the chair, and the first thing she says to me, she says, Mike, she said, I've been looking at your case. And she says, I'm, I was a former cop. And I said, yeah. And she goes, I'm still scratching my head. I said, me too. And that's when I knew I'd get a fair shot from her. I mean, I've had law enforcement. I, I, I went to high school with police officers. I know people from all different walks of life. And nobody can seem to understand why I would serve life 25 and a half years in a maximum security prison when a member of law enforcement, again, acting in the line of duty, would shoot and kill the, the bad guy, the perpetrator of a, of a crime. Maybe it should be, you know, looked at. Maybe some, somebody somewhere should uh, rethink it. But Okay, something I wanted to ask you after watching that episode, and again, if, if you don't want to answer this, it's totally up to you, but I, I did think it was interesting. Um, it, it explains in the episode that you had a chance to testify. Correct. And you chose not to. Correct. When you look back, do you wish you would have testified? Can you explain to me what, like, why you didn't testify? Because they didn't really go in too much, too much to that. Was that, is that something you've thought about? Obviously, you've thought about um, all of it since <laughs> then. But what, what was that a mistake, or was that do you still maintain that that's what you should have done? I'm just curious what what, what the thought process was. You know, they say hindsight is twenty twenty vision. Anybody that gets in criminal trouble. Uh, would want to defend themselves or take the stand to, you know, explain either what happened or say what didn't happen. The problem with that is these juries are so fickle. They can look at you. They can look at me. They could look at anyone and just dislike them for no reason. So when you get up there on that stand and any 
any good litigator, any great or good trial lawyer will tell you, if you give them more than what they have by you sitting at that table, if you take that stand and say something they don't like, if they don't like the tone of your voice, your demeanor, your mannerisms, then they convict you. And so unfortunately, a lot of people don't take the stand in their own, on their own behalf. You know, in my case, I had a John P. O'Connor, which, you know, you, you weren't going to find a better trial lawyer in the 1990s than John O'Connor. And I liked John. I, I trusted him and I respected him as a, as a lawyer, as my lawyer. And when he said, Mike, if you were my own son, I would tell you not to get on that stand. Okay. I didn't take the stand. Do I look back and regret it? I look back and regret a lot of things, but I can't I can't live my life like that. I made it I made a decision at the time not to take the stand uh, and testify my on my own behalf and and that's what it was. In Platte County, there probably wasn't much I could do anyway. They have like a 99.9% conviction rate. Bad place to be. I get it. People are up there raising their families, trying to live quiet lives. I respect that. So, I don't think even testifying would have helped me. And, and so, and the way they explained it is because they felt like the fact that, that the person that did testify against you, Nick, had been proven enough in that trial that he was lying and wasn't a trustworthy witness and his testimony could be called into question. They felt that that was enough. Focus on that. Focus on that the whole thing is pinned on his testimony and you can't trust his testimony. So leave it at that. And if they follow instructions and just pay attention to that, then then you should win. That's exactly right. That was it. You sound like John O'Connor, word for word. That's exactly what he said. Yes. But that's not what And that didn't end up happening. But yeah, that was uh, O'Connor's reasoning and train of thought back then as as a litigator. And and again, you talk about the the way you've approached this and you say, well, you know, I could could, uh, have a lot of regrets and have a lot of, uh, you know, second guesses and hindsight being 20-20, but you choose not to do that. And there's a lesson there for people, because if anyone has a chance or a reason to be bitter, to be angry, it's you. But you've chosen and you talked about what your mom said. You've chosen not to do that. Do you think the book being written, um, how do you think that will affect you when it's out there and and people read this? Do you think that's that will that that will have closure for you? I mean, how how, because some people would just want to move on. Like, look, that's done. I'm fucking out. I want to live my life and not go through this again. But but tell me a little bit about maybe how you feel about that as we get closer to this book being uh, released. So I'm sure you've heard people use the term uh, live your life through the windshield. You know, yeah. don't look in the rearview mirror. Right. And that that's kind of the approach I'm taking. You know, I'll be 50 on Sunday and I feel like I got some good life left. Uh, I'm ready to get to the next chapter, turn the page, so to speak. And, and I am looking forward 100%, yes. However... Frank Cade's unbiased narrative of this story, it's not so much to glamorize or glorify, you know, a certain lifestyle that no longer exists or crimes from the past, even though true crime books still remain popular today. It's, you know, he and I have talked about, you know, there's an underlying theme and that's chasing ghosts. And that's what we were doing, Um, you know, to grow up in the 1990s as a young Sicilian kid, especially from the East Coast originally. We were all chasing ghosts. We were trying to get involved and be a part of something that we were completely ignorant of and stupid to want to get involved with. So I don't feel like the book is looking backwards. I think uh, it'll be cathartic. And and I would like people to maybe know more about this case and, and learn the facts and not 
maybe you know view Joe Riley as just a bad guy or some idiot that went into a Motel Six and shot an informant in the shoulder. And that's important. It's, to you. That's very important that to was me. Your friend. He was my friend. He's still my friend. Yes. And so you want people to know the real story, and you think maybe he's been uh, wrongly portrayed. He was a good kid that did a bad thing. And again, you know, he wasn't Joe Riley. He he wasn't even like us. You know, uh, he he just no. he wasn't. He was he was well groomed. He was very respectful. He wasn't a criminal, but you know, good people are capable of doing bad things. If the oh, yeah. if you know the perfect storm comes along and pulls them in that direction, and you know, not that I look back or harbor any resentment or have ill feelings towards him, but. To this day, I still feel like the FBI created a crime on top of a crime that didn't need to happen. You know, and I think, um, and that's why this resonates with me hearing you say that, because like I said, we're, we're the same age. I'll be 50 in November, and we ran around with a, a lot of the same people. We did. In, in the same area at the same time, and that caused me to reflect on this and think about, because I met my wife in 96, and I was uh, there, there was a stretch there. 91, 92, 93, where I was hanging around with the wrong people for the wrong reasons. And you say that, and the reason I, I mentioned this, that resonates with me, you say chasing ghosts. I wasn't chasing a ghost. I was chasing him because I grew up around him, and he had a reputation, but people respected him, but more importantly, people feared him. And you see that as a kid when you're 14, 15, 16, 17, and you don't think about all the downsides. You think, I want to be that. Hmm. I want to be the guy walking in with the fucking $500 cowboy boots and the fucking town car with the tinted windows and the secret compartment with this, that, mm-hmm. and everything else. I mean, you were... Sure, yeah. It's, it's hard. And growing up in Northeast, it's hard not to want to be that, right? But then I had two things that changed my life to work for me. Number one, my mom was always that angel on my side in the ear saying, don't fucking do this. Your cousins are doing this. Your fucking dads did. Don't fucking do this. Don't fuck up. And then also, right when I'm 17, 18 years old, I see him go away, right? And then for the first year or two, I'm still thinking, well, I got to be Steve St. John Jr. I got to fucking live up to this. I got to be that guy. I still live in Northeast. But then going to visit him. Mm. And it would, and I've told you this before, it would fucking kill me when I'd go and visit him and have to leave and he and, I, and I, I'd be so excited to see him and I'd be fired up and we'd sit there and talk and then I'd have to leave and I couldn't fucking I would have given anything to walk him out of there and put him in my car and I couldn't I'd cry all the way I don't give a fuck if people know I'd cry mm-hmm. all the way home you know because I couldn't bring him with me right and it in that and who who knows what I would have done I had cousins you know that I hung yeah, out with sure. went this way and that way if if I hadn't have been, I guess the best was scared straight like that, and to see that environment, and I, I was I, I was I was chasing him, and I wanted to be like him until I saw the other side of it, and then he would tell me, because there was one time that something happened, we don't need to get into it, and then my mom was all fucking pissed off, said you're gonna go talk to your dad, see what he has to say about this. I got into a fight in a parking lot, and some other shit had happened, and and he got and he was he was hot, he was pissed. Right, because I'm supposed to be going to school and doing the right thing, and I kind of wasn't doing the the, the right thing. And mm-hmm. we sit down. There was a Leavenworth. It was outside. Remember those that that, that gazebo or whatever? Yeah, we yeah, yeah. I'll never mm-hmm. forget this. And we're sitting there, and he's looking at me. He goes, "He goes, you want to fucking be here? You want to you want to fucking act like this? You want to act like your friends and be? It's all fucking cool. He goes, you want to be here with me? You want to stay here, or do you want to be able to get in the car and fucking leave and go home? 
And that was such a and maybe you know maybe you don't remember that, but I'll never oh, forget I that because yeah. my mom, I just you better fucking talk to him, and this is how he wants you can end up. And I left there, and that was one of the biggest life changing moments I've ever had. So everything you just said resonated with me. So the title that Frank Hayde and I have kind of discussed and come up with, "Chasing Ghosts," is exactly that. It's guys of our era, guys of our age growing up in certain neighborhoods around certain people, uncles, fathers, grandfathers. Best friends. Best yeah. friends. You know, you, it, it's like shiny objects. We move towards them, and you don't realize the pitfalls that, that are waiting for you. Some people were lucky and didn't wind up in prison, but chasing ghosts was just that, trying to be like your father or living up to that name. Um one of the best things that somebody told me not too long ago was that I single-handedly got them out of the streets because I think guys my age, when they saw me get arrested and, and stand trial there in Platte County, then I had to go fight in federal court and lost. Uh, it, it, it opened their eyes up. It woke them up to, hey, I'm not ready to do life. I'm not looking to do 30 years. And shit's serious, you know? Yeah. You know, they, you know uh, they say if you can't do the crime, if right. you can't do the time, don't do the crime. Yeah. That's easy to say, but hard you know when do. you're hard to do, and when you're young, you feel invincible, or you just you go down that rabbit hole of of street violence or criminal activity. You don't realize when when you get caught, which chances yeah. are they are going to catch you because they got more tools and toys than you could possibly imagine. Yeah. Yeah. Not just you know Money. surveillance teams; they got yeah. airplanes and yeah, listening devices. And when you get caught, you're going to be faced you with know, the hard decision. I want to say a couple of things. I just Mike, when he was out and about, you know, he's moving smooth operator. And when I tell you a couple of things here, you go, ah, that's where he got that from. But he he was a smooth operator, nice-looking kid. Everybody wanted to be like him, not me, because I was older than him. He won't admit it, at least, on air. I was going to say that you didn't have the fucking hair to be like him, but that's all right. Let's just get that out. Let's just get that out there. I got that from you. So anyway. I guess he won't be buying me lunch. So what I was saying is... is. Oh yeah, he, he lived up above Joe Coochie. Oh boy, that's, there you that's, go. There it is. There you go, right there. Right. Joe taught him a few tricks. Sure. But uh, the fact of the matter is, 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 is like he said that this. You'll just have to read the book and 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 watch the the tape, because unless you know the the, the whole story, and you will after this, uh, is 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 Joe Riley. He, his dad, I never knew his dad, but his dad was somewhat of an insurance fraud guy like like Bobby Farrar was. You remember my friend Bobby? I do, I, I, and Emily and, Water, yes. I worked for Bobby momentarily, so yeah. yes, I remember And Bobby. so out there where he lived was out on Ward Parkway, and that house was, what, several million dollars? Yeah, it was, it was I don't even know if I'd call it a house. Yeah, a yeah. mansion. It was, it was a mansion. <laughs> so anyway... They were on his ass, and they was chasing the, the uh, uh, what did you say? The, the assets. That's right. what they wanted. Hidden assets. So they've been after the dad for a long time. And they get they try to get to the dad through the son. Yeah. There you go. Now, moving on, in 99, I went to Colorado, my, the last place I was at. And I was sitting in the kitchen because I was baking there, baking everywhere. And I see a little old guy over there filling the salt and pepper shakers. And he had 045 on his uniform. Well, 
045 is Kansas City. It's Western District. I know that much. And I said, hey, uh, uh, how you doing? Are you from Kansas City? He said, yeah, yeah. And from over, he said, I'm so-and-so Riley. I said, yeah, how you doing? I said, I've heard of you. Yeah, and he started telling me. He said, you know, FBI just killed my son, and, and they was really after me, and he just started crying. You know, I felt bad for the guy. And and so he told me that part about it. You know, there he said, yeah. He said, they uh, they really wanted wanted me, but he said they kept on my son and doing this and doing that, and finally they got him something hooked up that he that he took the bait. I mean, we'd always talk about that too. Remember, we had to. There was a time when <clears throat> we, they wanted to talk to me, and I had to talk to some agents at the Denny's on uh, on Broadway. But you were there with me, you know, and trying to get to you through me to see yeah. if I would say anything mm-hmm. and follow me sometimes. And I, obviously, not as much as they could have ever been harassed as as much <laughs> as they harassed other people. But I I remember that. You know, they tried to see if there was a way through me, and you always told me about that. You know, and yeah. I would get mad at him sometimes because he wouldn't include me in stuff or he wouldn't he'd, he'd be going on a mm-hmm. trip and I wanted him to go he goes no you can't go with me on this trip. Go, you know I'd be fucking mad why the fuck can I go with you he was protecting you other people yeah. but then later on he would tell me you know a lot of those times when I didn't want you around or I didn't take you on that trip or I was with other people it wasn't that I didn't love you or I didn't want you to be around I was protecting you and, yeah. but you don't see that when it's happening right you, said, you oh, feel my, left right, out yeah, yeah. you feel left out you feel left out exactly right so he I'm, knew things you didn't know yet. Right, exactly right. And so um, it's funny how your dad gets smarter as you get older. And I'm hoping <laughs> my kids will fuck that. My kids that don't fucking listen to me now. See, in 20 years I'll make sense. <laughs> and so what, what I'd like to wrap this up and tell people again <clears throat> the the name of the book and the author and when we can expect to be able to read this. Well, the title of the book is going to be Chasing Ghosts, written by Frank Hayde, H A Y D E. I encourage everyone to read his other books. He's a He's a wonderful author. He's a good person. He really has a, a great sense of the story. And uh, you can also watch the Court TV crime story on YouTube, I believe. And just put uh, your name up in Michael. Yeah, you just Google yeah. Michael G. Albanese, yeah. Fatal Sting. Um, it's an interesting case. It was a unique twist on old law. And, you know, maybe some people don't give two shits about people in prison. But maybe they, but some they, people do. But they portrayed it accurately. You thought it was a good portrayal of, of what happened. That, yeah. That piece. Yeah, I thought it was decent. And I when, thought it was decent. And then when when's the book coming out? Uh sometime next year. Okay, and then we'll be able and we're gonna talk to you between now and then. Absolutely. We'll to, sometime next year. Book. Um and, and again, I'll just say this, like I always tell my dad how proud I am of him after, you know, he got out, he never got in trouble again, the way he conducted himself and the way he utilized his time there. Uh, to make cream puffs and do other things, but also just the man that he's become after that because that's not easy. And I see that with, with you for 20, 20, 25 and a half years. I have a tremendous amount of admiration for your attitude and for your optimism because, you got you know, we all yeah. go through shit every day and we think, oh, <clears throat> life sucks or how am I going to get over this? Man, if you can get over that and, and come out the way you have, then that's an inspiration to a lot of people. Thank you. And I'm glad that you've, you know, Connected with this guy, because I don't know. My man. And I don't know how much it's going to help you get around Kansas City since you can't find a fucking... Oh, I have to navigate. Yeah. We know yeah. that. Hey, you're going to have to be the wingman. You're going to have to show him around Kansas City. I want to say reason. one thing, because, you know, anytime I get out here, yeah, I got to Please do. you got something gotta to promote. I got to myself. Uh, listen to gang, Gangland Wire Crime Stories yeah. with Gary Jenkins. I've got a lot of my podcasts are on there, and they're pretty interesting. They're all true. 
sometimes click on there and, and see what it's all about. How about this fucking podcast? Can you promote this one? I'm not done Hot yet. Hot Mike with SSJ. I'm not done okay, go yet. Ahead. Go ahead. And also, Hot Mike with SSJ, and you can say anything you want. Yeah, you can. You say. can fuck this, fuck that. Is there anything really you want to say in closing to get off your chest about anything in general? No, I'm just glad that, that you give us the opportunity to come out Anytime. And, and tell Mike's story because he's a heck of a guy. He's what a nice guy. And it just thinks, wow, it's a waste of time. So it was a waste of time. But I guess coming out here, it was a waste of time. <laughs> no, 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 Clarify. And I always say, you know what? I if and I always have to call my dad about like I'll meet someone. Yeah, I knew your dad, or I'll, I always go, hey dad, is this guy okay? Yeah. And he'll say, okay, okay, I'm good. Yeah. Or I'll go somewhere. And I always and so whenever he gives the seal of approval, that means more to me than anything. And I've been around you. He came out to watch the Canelo fight. He kicked Triple G. Yeah. I was there. I know he's the right yeah. kind of guy. Yeah. I, I was there. So man, so I appreciate you coming on the on the podcast. Anytime you want to come out here, and if you feel like you know what, I should have said this or should have said that. Is there anything else you want to say in closing or? thank anyone or say something about this guy and his directions or whatever. Uh, your dad's great, man. He's been, he's been very supportive and I love sitting and talking with him. We go grab bites to eat and you know, we, we have, we have a good connection and just thank you. Thank you for having me out here and I plan on coming back and, and you enjoy sports radio. 810. you listen I to the love show. Before, it. So yeah, you? that was, it, you got, you got the great show. You great show. You met Tim Grunhard today. Met Tim Grunhard. He's going to get me a book. Yeah. Can't wait uh, to read his book. Yeah. Hold him I, to that. Yeah. I do a show yeah. with him and I ain't got a book. So don't, uh, don't hold your We'll probably have books one. before right. you. That's well. a good, that's a fucking probably a good possibility all right so uh so mike and my dad thank you so much for coming out here and thank you so much for watching and listening to hot mike with ssj until next week the microphone is off